Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. July 8th, 2019. I'm Shannon, and I'm here today with a fantastic interview with author Renee Rosen. I'm so excited to share this with you. I recorded it a few weeks ago, and it was a lot of fun to do. I hope you all enjoy it as much as I enjoyed actually talking to her. And then, of course, I have the week's new releases, and there are quite a few, so definitely Keep listening after the interview if you're wondering what fantastic things are coming out this week. So before we get into the interview, I have the usual housekeeping information because that's always important. You can find us on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. Once you're there, feel free to like and or follow the page. You can also join our Facebook listener group if you're looking for a place to talk about what you're reading, what you're hoping to read, pretty much anything about books. We're very happy to have you. You can talk with us. You can talk with other listeners of the podcast. Um, It's pretty quiet, but I think we do give some good book recommendations over there, so definitely feel free to join us. If you are on Twitter and you would like to reach out to us over there, Um, You can find us at bistro underscore book, or you can always just go ahead and send us an email, and that address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. All right, so let us get on with the interview. As I said, this was a lot of fun to do. Um, I really enjoyed Park Avenue Summer, which is the book that um, I interviewed Renee about, So definitely feel free to pick it up, and then we will talk about more great books. Welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. I'm Shannon, and I am joined today by author Renee Rosen, whose most recent novel entitled Park Avenue Summer was released earlier this spring. I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I am so excited to talk with you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So I read Park Avenue Summer on the day that it came out. And I read it, I probably was finished with it like by the evening. Oh my goodness. Yes, it was an absolutely engrossing read. And so I'm wondering if we can start out by having you give listeners a bit of an introduction to Park Avenue Summer. Uh, Sure. Uh, So it's really um, the story of a young girl, uh, Alice Weiss, who uh, leaves her small town in Youngstown, Ohio, and heads to New York City uh, in 1965 to chase her own dreams of becoming a photographer. And instead, she lands a job working for Helen Gurley Brown in the very early days when Helen Gurley Brown had just taken over as the first editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan Magazine. And we've been sort of describing the book as Mad Men meets uh, The Devil Wears Prada. So, you know, you've got all the nostalgia of 1965 New York with the uh, magazine industry, 
uh, sort of backdrop of Delaware's Prada? So one of the things that I love, usually when I'm reading historical fiction, I like something that is a little bit earlier than the 60s. Mm-hmm. Like that just doesn't quite feel historical it's, enough yeah, to me. Yeah, isn't it horrif- horrifying <laughs> that the 60s is considered historical? Yeah. Yes, yes. But I fell in love with the fantastic sense of place and time that you were able to weave into this novel. Like I could definitely tell that I was reading about a time that wasn't now, even though it technically wasn't that long ago either. There was a sense of just like stepping back away from my life in 2019 into something very different where women um, are different expectations for women. Mm, So I'm curious, when you decided to write this novel, how did you decide to create Alice's character and to not only create her, but to make her our kind of lens through which we see Helen Gurley Brown and Cosmopolitan magazine? Well, it's, it's kind of just what you said. You know, when I set out to write this book, and I realized it was going to be the Cosmo Helen Gurley Brown story. I wrestled a little bit with the point of view. Like, should it be Helen telling Helen's story? And when I started doing my research, there were so many books that were out, really good books about Helen Gurley Brown, not to mention all the books that Helen Gurley Brown had written herself. And I was thinking, well, what am I going to be able to bring to the party that's new? And by using Allie and, uh, you know, describing her as a lens is, uh, you know, just a perfect, I wish I had come up with that because um, that's the perfect <laughs> way to describe it. Because using her, I was able to show the impact that Helen Gurley Brown had on this young girl who just arrives in New York City um, and her whole world begins to open up. And it's not just her romantic world where, you know, um, she's playing footsies with some guys in the office or, you know, uh, but she starts to really blossom in terms of her confidence and knowing herself better. As she gets to know the city, she gets to know herself. And it's all a result of her working so closely with Helen Gurley Brown. Well, and I think it's interesting because we do see a lot of books out today where historical figures are kind of telling their own stories And so I really enjoyed seeing this through Alice's perspective. Well, thanks. I'm glad that that worked for you. Oh, yes. Yes. So well. Can we talk a little bit about the research that you did for this novel? Like, What was your research process? So I usually always start with reading, you know, and I'll read whatever, you know, nonfiction or if there is fiction available on a subject, I'll read it just to make sure I'm doing something very different from that. And then I started looking, there's a lot of great interviews with Helen Gurley Brown on YouTube. And so I started looking at those. And then just as a complete lucky uh, break, I was having lunch with a writer friend of mine and his wife. And he said, what's the new book about? And as soon as I said Helen Gurley Brown, they both like grabbed each other's hands and said, oh my God, we have to introduce her to Lois. I'm like, who is Lois? So they introduced me to Lois Cahill, who regarded Helen Gurley Brown as her second mother. Um, She probably knew Helen Gurley Brown better than anyone. And uh, so I was introduced to Lois and we kind of hit it off. And she just 
she was so generous with her time and her memories and her stories of Helen. And even though she was a little skeptical at first, like you're writing a novel about her, um, she <laughs> vetted the book and like she would catch me if she's like, you know, uh, 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 you're starting to sound too much like Anna Wintour there. You know, that wasn't my Helen. <laughs> and, you know, like to get the language down, to get the thought process, because, you know, as as Lois really tried to impress upon me, Helen Gurley Brown was incredibly clever. She was sly, sly, sly. She always had an end game uh, in mind. So, you know, she would have a meeting and she knew exactly what she wanted to come out of that meeting. And she just sort of invisibly pushed everybody in that direction. So she was sort of like the loveliest little manipulator you could ever have encountered, you know. And you could see that in the novel, like just the way that Alice was watching her and thinking mm -hmm. like, you know, she definitely has a plan in mind. She's not yeah. just like going at this, you know, hoping for the best. She has a definite plan. Yeah. And she knew so how to as you people. researched. Go on. Yes, it seems. Um, as you were doing this research, did you learn things that surprised you about the time? or about Helen as a person? Definitely. Um, you know, about, about Helen, I was surprised by how vulnerable she was. Um, you know, I just knew her as this petite woman who talked about sex the way other people talked about the weather. Um, you know, I, I didn't, you know, know anything about her upbringing. You know, she was very, very poor. And I don't think she ever really, um, you know, after growing up in a trailer park, even though she was, you know, very successful and money was not an issue, she continued to, she only took the bus to work. She could not, um, she just couldn't rationalize spending the money on a taxi cab. And she could have had a driver, you know. Um, she took her lunch to work every day. You know, she was very, um, always mindful of wasting money. Um, and that surprised me. Uh, just her, um, her, her sense of fashion, because, you know, in some pictures she looks so beautiful and so put together. And in other pictures, it's like her shirt, her, her dresses were always too short. Um, she always oh. had runs in her stockings. You know, she loved Poochie. Uh, her wigs would kind of be, uh, you know, she always wore wigs and sometimes they wouldn't be on quite <laughs> straight. And you know, she oh. was, she'd have like some lipstick on her tooth and, you know, so she was, uh, she was, a uh, you know, a bit of, a, a you know, mishmash there for a while. So was this different for you in any um, significant ways from writing previous novels in previous periods of history? I'll tell you one thing that was very different was the condensed timeline. My books in the past have been like at least like three decades long, you know, and um, so. Oh, like your Marshall Field. Marshall Field novel. or Windy yes. City Blues. I think White Collar Girl was the only one that was a little bit shorter time period. But usually it's it's I sweep a lot of time. And so to condense this into a four month time period was very different. Um, being in New York was very different. 
my previous historical novels were all set in Chicago. So this was a bit of a departure. Um, and, uh, you know, but mainly it was, it was the timeline that I found different. Mm-hmm. And also, I, can see I guess that. you, yeah. Also, I guess too, telling essentially, I mean, Allie has her own storyline for sure in the book, but she's essentially telling Helen's journey. And so that was a little bit different, right. too. Or at least Helen's journey during this particular period of time. Like, we, we right. see her at the end, you know, focusing more on herself. And I don't want to give away, like, how that happens. Right. But we see more of a future for Alice as, as herself, not right. as, like, just a secretary. Right. So what drew you to writing historical fiction? Hmm. You know, it, I, I don't think it was like a conscious, you know, decision. I, um, I had written a young adult book and then couldn't get another book published. And I had already written Dollface, but I had no takers for it. And, um, and I worked on that book for 10 years. Um, and finally found, you know, I, I tore it down, rewrote it, um, and, uh, finally found a a home for it. And the book did well enough that my editor said, you know, give us another Chicago book. And so then I was like, well, what's more Chicago than Marshall Field, who was the retail tycoon. So, um, that became what the lady wants in the Gilded Age. And then, you know, from there, it was like all of a sudden you start to, um, from just a pure marketing standpoint, people come to want another book that's not the same, obviously, but that's in a similar genre. And so that's really how the historical started. But I absolutely love it because I get to learn something new all the time. I'll, you know, I get to just, for a year or two, just get to learn. And it's great. My introduction to your work came um, through What the Lady Wants. Mm. And then from there, um, I picked up Windy City Blues Mm -hmm. and then now um, Park Avenue Summer. So I definitely have um, a couple more to scoop up here over the (laughs) next few months. Um, but I love the kind of the sense that, you know, we know kind of what we're going to get. You're, you're writing these fantastic historical novels that allow us to be immersed in someone's life and not just like someone who, you know, maybe is living the same kind of life that I live or that Mm -hmm. my next door neighbor lives, but you're allowing us to see a portion of history that, Perhaps, you know, we might not like certain things are documented and we know some things about history, mm-hmm. but we don't often get to feel like we're seeing like what life would have been like for a person living yeah. in that time. Yeah. So I'm sorry. What does a typical, oh, I'm sorry. What does a typical writing day look like for you? Mm. Well, I write every day and usually I'm I think I'm best in the morning. My head's just clear, even though I would never think of myself as a morning person. So I get up usually um, between about 6.30, 7, and I'll write until 
maybe 11 or noon, take a little break, um, you know, and then I try and treat it kind of like a nine to five thing. So, you know, the, okay. so, you know, by the time it's time for dinner and everything, I'm, I, I can put the book away for, for the time being, you know, it's still, still percolating mm-hmm. in the back of my mind. Um, but I write on weekends, I get up early, um, and do that before, um, you know, whatever we're doing that day gets underway and same thing with Sundays and, um, you know, and it also depends where I'm at in the process of, of the book. If I'm drafting, um, those days go a lot slower. And if I can get 400 words, I'm okay. really, really happy. Because um, I don't know, I don't know the characters. Even if it's based on a real character, I don't know that person intimately to be able to portray them. Um, and that takes time. And, um, you know, and I certainly don't know where the story is going. I might know a few um, markers, you know, landmarks that I know I'm going to hit along the way. Um, but how I get there and how the book's going to wrap up, I have no idea. But once I get a beginning, middle and end, then I really ramp up the writing. Cause for me, that's when the real work starts, you know, and then it becomes, you know, like an eight hour day, um, pretty much straight through. Um, when I'm on deadline, I'm getting ready to just, you know, pol- do the final polish or anything. Those, those can be 12 and 14 hour days. So, wow. but it doesn't feel like that. It goes by so fast. You know, and I'll write until I'm just like, I, I, I empty out and there's nothing left inside. So I have to go do something else mm-hmm. to fill up. <laughs> Recharge. Yeah, Absolutely. Is there something, like a particular thing that you like best about writing? Like, do you have a favorite part of that? Yeah, revision. I love revising. I love editing. And, you know, I I know some people are like, are you crazy? But when I get to work with my editor, that's my favorite part. Because she'll ask a question and it just opens up a whole other level or a theme of the book that I didn't know was there. And I love seeing, because I'll try and like, before I turn in a book, I try and make it as tight as I can, because I want my editor to not spend time fixing things. I want her to be able to spend time enhancing where we're at, you know, and helping me drill down Mm -hmm. and pull more out of the story. And so that's always fascinating to me because I know where we start. And then it's so exciting to see where we're going to end up. Because I always see so much growth because of her, like in a character and just, you know, in that process of working with an editor who's got a really good eye and good instincts. I I think that, you know, and they may say, fix this over here, but by fixing that over there, you notice something else. So I don't just do what they point out. It sort of opens me up to see other opportunities in the book. And I just love it. It's so fun. And I, I some of my writer friends think I'm insane. But <laughs> there's nothing my, wrong with a bit of insanity. It is my favorite part. Can you clue us in at all to what is next for you? Yeah. In fact, I'm in that final polishing stage now um, for The Social Graces, which is the story of 
Mrs. Astor and Alva Vanderbilt vying for control of New York society during the Gilded Age. So like 1870s up to the early 1900s um, and comes out January 2021. So we've got a little bit of time. Uh, oh, a whole year and more. Yeah, yeah. But the, I, I think we're going to do lots of editing and revising on this. So I'm very, very excited. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, just uh, fascinating women. You know, and the challenge for me now is um, making them feel real. They mm-hmm. were real people, but, you know, they're, they were more than just these two rich women, you know, who end up in a cat fight, basically. <laughs> but, you know, um, but what made them tick? Uh, who, who were they, really? So that's, that's sort of my challenge right now, is to bring that out. So I've seen some fiction, um, some historical fiction that deals with the Vanderbilt as a family, but not so much um, bringing in like the whole Aster connection. Yeah. Um, so I will be excited to see where that goes. I read earlier this year um, a well a well behaved woman, woman. By yeah. Julianne Fowler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there was also some Vanderbilt mentioned in um, oh American that Churchill woman. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh huh. And yes, I have American Duchess here, but I have not. Yeah. I've not picked it up yet. Um, so I'll be interested to see kind of how the Astors like come into this, and just sort of that extra layer um, yeah. of depth that you get when different characters are you know put into a specific place and time. Yeah, because they. I mean, you know, Caroline Astor as a Knickerbocker, which you know she her family were uh, uh, the first Dutch settlers, they, she was very refined in the beginning. And her whole thing was to keep the nouveau riche or that railroad money, Alva right. Vanderbilt out. So, yes. you know, and Alva wanted in, Caroline wanted her out. And it was this tug of war, this dance that they did. Um, and, you know, and then all of a sudden it was the tail wagging the dog where you have the nouveau riche sort of dictating that you you have to be flashy, you have to dress this way. And, you know, Caroline Astor didn't like worth gowns in the beginning. And that was all she wore towards the end oh. of her of her reign. But they were, they were much too uh, trendy and, you know, uh, modern for her tastes. <laughs> so, you know, it was really interesting. I really wanted to bring out that um, that arc of how they went from being these refined, uh, you know, understated people and their very conservative brownstones and townhouses into these people that are throwing balls for their dogs and, you know, uh, living in these enormous mansions and, you know, things that they called cottages that were just, you know, like palatial, you know. So... Well, I will definitely be looking forward to this because um, I, I love Gilded Age stories. There are so many fascinating people yeah. um, in that time. And I just I love the kind of transitional place that we see like as society changes. Yeah. So mm. when you're not writing, are you much of a reader or what do you do in your spare time? Oh, yeah, I read like all the time, whether it's research books or, you know, obviously I read a lot of historical fiction. I'm a slower reader than I'd like to be, which pains me. Oh. Um, but 
you know, I really like to savor what I'm reading. And um, so, you know, that love music. So there's always, you know, music going on. Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, and my to be read pile is just out of control, but aren't, aren't all of ours, you know? I think so. Yes. I think we'll, that's, you we'll know, never the get the chance to really read everything that we truly want to read, unfortunately, but I got to buy them. I got to oh have God, them. That makes me so sad. Like I, know, I think about, no, oh no. One of my co-hostesses on this podcast told me that if she never bought another book, and she just read everything that she had. She had enough books for the next, like, 47 years. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, how yeah. do you even know that? Like, how did yeah. you figure that out? So have you read and loved anything in particular that you would like to recommend? Yeah, I'm looking at my, okay, so Finding Dorothy by Elizabeth mm. Lutz. I just thought that was wonderful. Oh, I loved um, it so absolutely much. absolutely loved that. Um American Princess by Stephanie Thornton. It's the story of uh, Alice Roosevelt. And I thought that was done really, really well. Oh, I um, have that here. I'm glad yeah, to hear that you love it. Really good. Really good. Um, the Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. Oh, gosh. Is brilliant. Yes, it's it just is. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, that um, is a heart wrenching novel. It's yeah. And, you know, A Gentleman in Moscow just. That and Rules of Civility, uh, two of my favorites. Um, trying to see. Oh, The Last Year of the War, Susan yes. Meisner. Really, yes. really good. Um, you yeah. have great taste in books. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and The Last Collection, which comes out on Tuesday. Oh, yes. Uh, on the by 25th. June Macken. Yeah. Yes. I have um, an advanced copy of that here. Yeah. I'll tell I'm you. hoping the- to get to it this weekend. The prose is just as beautiful as that cover. It's really stunning. Oh, does it have a good cover? Oh, it's got a gorgeous cover. Yeah. Unfortunately, the whole like cover art thing is <laughs> lost on me so much of the time. And people are like, oh, oh it's a great oh, cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, it is? Okay. <laughs> good to know. So can you let listeners know the best way to find you online if people want to interact with you or um, leave you, you know, comments? Um, where's yeah. the best place to find you these days? Um, so I have a Facebook page, Renee Rosen Author, and I do lots of giveaways on there, and I love interacting with people. Um, um, I'm also on Twitter. I, I think I'm Renee Rosen One. I'm pretty sure I'm Renee Rosen One. Um, and um, I'm trying to get the hang of Instagram. But oh. it, I need to like steal somebody's uh, teenager or something to learn how to do it. So I know just enough to be dangerous and sort of screw things up. So, um, you know, uh, so I'm learning, but it's it's slow going. I still don't know how to do a story. So but I'm, I'm going to learn this weekend. Ah, you will get there. So. Well, I want to thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with me today and talking about all of this. Um, I am a huge fan of your work, and I'm hoping oh, to convince you. some of my co-hostesses who also really love historical fiction um, to pick up some of your stuff after hearing this interview. So I, I really appreciate so you um, talking with me, and I want to wish you, of course, the best of luck with your new novel. Thank you. And I will definitely 
be keeping an eye out um, for it as we get close to 2021, which seems so far away. I know, I know. <laughs> well, right, I really well, enjoyed talking you. with you. Thanks so much for having thank me on. Thank you so much. Okay, take care. All right. All right, so let's talk about all of the fantastic books. Well, not all of them. I wish I could talk about all of them, but that'd be a really, really long episode, so we won't do that. Let's talk about some of the great new books that are coming out this week. Um, many of them you've heard about before on either our most anticipated books of 2019 episode or more recently on our most anticipated books of July episode. Um, this is not, as you've gathered, a comprehensive list. So definitely you know, do your own research. And if you are really excited about something that I've missed, please let me know. It helps me when I curate these lists, if I know kind of, you know, what listeners are looking forward to so that I can tailor these a little bit more in the future. So first up is a book bistro favorite. So many of us are excited about this book. It is the standalone romantic suspense title by Nora Roberts. It's called Undercurrents. It's finally coming tomorrow. I'm so excited. Um, it looks super dark, and I'm very, very happy that it's here. So this, again, is Undercurrents, and it's by Nora Roberts. And Natalia talked about it way back on our Most Anticipated Books of 2019 episode. And speaking of things that we've already talked about, Yasmin Gallinorn released the seventh book in her Wild Hunt series, and it's actually out on July 8th, so as I'm recording this, it is available. This is Witching Hour. It's the Wild Hunt book seven, but it's also the first book and kind of an offshoot of that series, and so it's an anti-fay adventure. Um, fantastic urban fantasy. I love Yasmin Gallinorn so much, and again, that book is called Witching Hour. Dragonfly by Leila Meacham is also out um, this week. It is a huge, it's like 860 pages in print, um, historical novel that deals with a group of people during World War II who come to the aid of the United States in um, some very unconventional ways. So it's Dragonfly, and the author is Leila Meacham. Amber has been very excited about this next book. This is Fled by Meg Keneally, and it's historical fiction um, about Australia and what it was like when it was a penal colony. And it's Fled by Meg Keneally. Natalie is looking forward to Spin the Dawn, which is the first book in a new young adult fantasy series called Blood of Stars. The author is Elizabeth Lim. Stacy is very excited about Spring House by Mary Ellen Taylor, which is a dual timeline novel. And last but not least, for things that we've already talked about, Natalia really enjoys books by Anna Aguirre and so is very excited that Heartwood Box is coming out. And I'm not sure exactly what genre this will fall into. It looks like a little bit of a thriller with perhaps some fantasy elements. So I'm excited about that. It looks pretty intriguing. So again, it's Heartwood Box by Anna Aguirre. 
All right, now we have books that we haven't talked about before. Um, another book that comes out today, so the 8th as I'm recording this, is The Marriage Betrayal by Shalini Boland. And this is an author that I haven't read, but I've heard such good things about her. She writes these very taut um, psychological thrillers, which I love. And this one is about a family vacation that goes terribly wrong when a six-year-old boy and his father do not return from a morning walk. It does not seem like a good situation. So that again is The Marriage Betrayal, and it is by Shalini Boland. I am really excited about this next book. It's The Stories You Tell, Roxanne Weary, book three, and it is by Kristen LaPianca. And this is a really awesome series about a private investigator with a very troubled past. Um, her present is actually kind of troubled too, I suppose, but we learn more about her past and how that kind of influences her present. Um, if you enjoy books with LBGT characters. This one is wonderful. Um, she is bisexual and I think the author does a fantastic job kind of showing, you know, what that's like and how people live with this label, how they manage to, you know, come out if they choose to do that, how it affects um, their relationships. I just, I really enjoy it both for the mystery and for the character development. So this one is the third book, and it's called The Stories You Tell. It's book three in the Roxana Weary series by Kristen LaPianca. And let's talk about some historical fiction. Victorian London, I love it. This one is The Last Word, and it is by Samantha Hastings. It's about a young girl who wants to know how her favorite series of books ends, even though the author has died under pretty mysterious circumstances. Now, how she's going to find this out, like how that's possible, I don't know. But I love Victorian stories, and I love the idea of trying to figure out how a series might end when the author is no longer around to tell us. So it's The Last Word, and it's by Samantha Hastings. This next book um, really appeals to me. It looks like it can be kind of quirky, but also a little bit sad. This is The Last List of Miss Judith Pratt, and the author is Andrea Robots, and it's about an elderly woman who decides that she needs to cat, like catalog not only her possessions and the possessions that her family has been storing for years, but also the secrets and the memories that she's been holding on to. So it looks very, very cool, and I want it. So it's The Last List of Miss Judith Kratt by Andrea Robots. Okay, we have to go to another psychological thriller because I love them and there were just so many coming out this summer. So this one is One Little Secret by Kate Hollihan. 
And this is an author that I've heard a lot of great things about. I own several of her books. I just have not actually read one, but that's not anything to do with the books. It's more to do with my inability to read all the things that I want to read in a timely fashion. So this is a thriller, and apparently these people go to a beach house. It's supposed to be like the perfect getaway, but it totally is not. So that is One Little Secret by Kate Hollihan. Next up is Crashing the A-List by Summer Heacock. This is a young adult novel. Her first book um, got some rave reviews. It was supposed to be so much fun. And this one looks very, very cool if you are a fan of young adult fiction with romantic elements. Um, I don't know a lot about it, but I've just heard such fantastic things about the author, and so I had to mention it. This is Crashing the A-List by Summer Hickok. This next book could either be like super beautiful or very depressing. I'm just not sure. Depends how the author chooses to handle it. But this is Say, Say, Say by Lila Savage. And it's about a woman who gets a job as a caregiver for a woman with a brain injury. And as she adjusts to this new job and gets to know the person that she's working for, she also begins to evaluate her own relationships, both romantic and otherwise. Um, it reminds me a little bit from the synopsis of You're Not You by Michelle Wilgen, which I really, really loved. Um, and haven't read in such a long time, but I just have such fond memories of it. Um, so I'm hoping that this one is kind of on par with that. So again, it's Say, Say, Say by Lila Savage. And if you love Mercedes Lackey, I have to be honest and tell you that I haven't read a Mercedes Lackey book in quite a long time, but her Valdemar series is a longtime favorite. I read it when I was in late high school and early college, and I just love it a lot. So this is I Spy, and it's a part of her Valdemar Family Spies series. The thing about Valdemar, and I may have mentioned this in the past, is that it's this long series of books that's made up of interconnected books. So there's like trilogies and you have to read these in a specific order. Um, it's kind of complicated, but if you love the world, it's worth trying to figure it out. So this is I Spy, Valdemar Family Spies, book two, and it's by Mercedes Lackey. This next book is one that I read back in the very beginning of 2019. It's The Golden Hour by Beatrice Williams, and it takes place in the Bahamas. Um, during World War II, there's a separate timeline that goes back to World War I. It's kind of confusing. Just for the sake of transparency, it is not my favorite Williams novel, but I love the setting so very much. I also really enjoyed her uh, portrayal of the Duke and Duchess of Windsor back in, uh, in World War II. So I think she's written novels that are far easier to read, but I did still have to mention this one. It's The Golden Hour by Beatrice Williams. And this is another author that I really want to read, but haven't yet. 
Um, her book is called Last Summer. The author is Carrie Lonsdale. And it poses the question, what happens when you remember everything about your life except the tragedy that has irrevocably changed you? I don't know what happens, but I plan to read it and find out sometime soon. It's Last Summer by Carrie Lonsdale. This next book reminds me a little bit of Girls Burn Brighter by Shoba Rao. This is called A Prayer for Travelers, and the author is Ruchika Tamar. It's a novel about female friendship, the tragedy that tears one apart, and the quest that one woman is willing to undergo in order to put her friendship back together again. Um, it looks super poignant, a little bit suspenseful, and like something that I want to read right now, only I can't because I'm recording it on the 8th and it's not out yet. But this is A Prayer for Travelers, and it's by Ruchika Tamar. If you love science fiction romances, um, and I don't always love them, but these kind of intrigue me. This is the Tether series by Vivian Jackson, and the book is called More Than Stardust. Um, some of my favorite sci-fi romances are the Class 5 series by Michelle Diener. I'm hoping that these are, are kind of fun, um, smart and fun the way those are. So this is More Than Stardust, and it's Tether, book three, by Vivian Jackson. And I'm going to keep on the theme of stars here, although in a really different way. This next book is called Delayed Rays of a Star, and the author is Amanda Lee Coe. This is historical fiction about three groundbreaking women in the history of the cinema. So it's Marlene Dietrich, Anna Mae Wong, and Lenny Riefenstahl, and the way their lives kind of changed history. So once again, it is Delayed Rays of a Star, and it's by Amanda Lee Coe. Now this next book makes me happy, and it probably shouldn't because it's a little dark and twisted and creepy, but this is Wilder Girls by Rory Power. It's set in an all-girls school, which of course makes me happy because I love books that center around schools, especially kind of elite boarding schools. Um, apparently something happened 18 months ago that caused one such school to be put under quarantine. And no one seems to know what it is, but the girls especially would like to find out, like, why are they under quarantine? What are the people in charge hiding from them? So I am very, very excited about this. I think Amber was also looking forward to this one. It's Wilder Girls, and the author is Rory Power. And let's have a couple more thrillers, because I don't think you can ever have too many thrillers. Although I'm thinking that some of my co-hostesses might not agree with that. Um, this one I've heard quite a bit about. They're calling it a genre-busting thriller. It's called The Need and it's by Helen Phillips. And it's a novel that examines motherhood, uh, femininity, all kind of as it relates to this woman who encounters an intruder 
in her home one night when she is alone with her infant. So again, this is The Need, and it is by Helen Phillips, and I would really, really like to read it. So there are a ton of books about kidnapped children. I'm always a little surprised by how many books there are about this, but this next one looks really, really original, and I'm so excited. This is The Chain and it's by Adrian McKinty, who is another author I have never read, but want to. So the premise is kind of simple. What if your child was kidnapped and the only way you could get your child back was by kidnapping another child? Mm, I don't know, but I want to find out super soon. This is on my list of things to obtain like almost as soon as I can. It's The Chain, and it's by Adrian McKinty. And we'll do some historical fiction. Um, this is the first Mrs. Rothschild, and the author is Sarah Aharani. This is a family saga that takes place in Germany around the time of the French Revolution. I'm not sure how much time it covers, but it looks like just one of those big, luscious novels that you want to get lost in. So it is The First Mrs. Rothschild, and it's by Sarah Aharani. And last up for me is The Last Book Party by Karen Dukas. And this is a book that has gotten some really great reviews. I just read one earlier today um, by Taylor Jenkins Reid, who is the author of The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, as well as Daisy Jones and the Six. Apparently she highly recommends this one, and I'm pretty excited about it too, even though I'm not nearly as well known as Taylor Jenkins Reid. So this is a novel of romance, and female ambition, and it's set against the backdrop of the publishing world of the 1980s. Yeah, I could totally use some time um, spent in a world like that. So this again is The Last Book Party, and it is by Karen Dukas. So that is all I have for you today. I hope I have managed to expand your TBR pile quite a bit. Um, mine is much bigger, just as I did the research for this episode. So please, I, I hope you found something fantastic. And if you've read something that you've loved that I haven't mentioned, please let me know. I'm always happy to know what people are reading and loving. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.